0: Stone. How's it going? Game four of the day. I'm used to only two, so here we go. You ready? Man, it's great to be here today as introduced before. Cool. Yeah, keep clapping. That's all right. I like that. um, This has been a great day. And as introduced before, my name is Josh Barrett. I'm the lead pastor at Church of Celebration down in Maricopa. How about any Copans out there? Sweet. Down in the Copa is what we call it. Life still does exist. There is life down there. By the way, in case of whatever Dateline reports you have heard or seen, there is still life. It's awesome. We've been down there. We're a sister church of yours. We planted out of Vision, Arizona, which is a part of Cornerstone. Uh, Two years ago, we've seen over 135 people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Isn't that awesome? Great stuff going down i um, running around two services now, close to 500. God is really doing some amazing things right now. It, it is really cool to be down there, but it is a privilege to be with you guys today. And uh, I kind of, I get to speak to you in the series called Thread about experiences. So what I thought I would do is introduce to you some experiences in my life um, and let you meet some people that have been a part of shaping me and uniquely designing me. This is my wife, Ginger. Look at that. Hot. Smoking. You all can clap for her if you'd like. That's my wife. Um, 14 years last month we've been married. Isn't that cool? Awesome. This is my oldest son, Isaac. Yeah, he is seven going on eight. Of course... You know, this is like a picture of when he's four, but how could you pass up that face, right? So my, my son is, um, he, he's discovered this thing called attitude and really kind of taken it to his liking. So you can definitely pray for me about that. Uh, but he's my oldest. This is my middle son, Caleb Joshua. How about that? Is that not amazing? Yes. Caleb is six years old. Of course, once again, I got the three-year-old picture. But anyway, Caleb is my special needs little guy. He has a rare syndrome called CDLS, Cornelia DeLong syndrome, and he is amazing. Um, When he smiles, literally, there are 63 dimples that pop up. We've counted every single one of them. But that's my middle one. Okay, now get this. Ready? Eight weeks tomorrow. Check out that. That's my brand new one, Cheris Lee. She is eight weeks old tomorrow. She is an amazing experience in my life. And here she is doing what most people do in Arizona in the summertime, hanging out, <laughs> chilling, doing a little sun tanning. Isn't that awesome? It is great. Now, I, I know when I walked out, many of you, you know, formulated your ideas and, and said, dude, who's this chubby guy? Gosh, what's Lynn up to right now? And, and the last couple i weeks, I've, I've watched some of the videos just to make sure that I'm not saying anything that's already been said. I do appreciate the video, which is what I call Chub magnification, up on the screen. So um, I thought, do I wear dark clothes? And I just said, yeah, I would just wear paisley. Confuse them. They don't even know if I'm chubby or skinny, right? <laughs> so, hey, it's great being here. And, and as I said, I get to talk to you about experiences today and things that thread and shape our lives. What's interesting to me is this. When we talk about good experiences... Why is it that we don't reflect on those more often in our lives? Why is it that the bad experiences always get God's recognition? You know, we always, God, why did you do this to me? Why did you allow this? So it takes bad experiences to get our focus on to God. For the good experiences, we often just overlook. We don't even think about it. I mean, sometimes we say thank you for certain things, but let me, let's do this as a test, okay? Everybody do this. On the count of three, I want you to take a deep breath with me. Ready? One, two, three. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking that's a good experience. Without that, what do I have? Nothing. I'm thinking that's a pretty good experience. Now, there's other good experiences in your life, but experiences shape us. They mold us. They thread us. They uniquely design us exactly how God wants us to be. But for some reason, the bad experiences far outweigh the good experiences as far as what we focus our attention on. I mean, did you know that in James chapter 1, he tells us that we are supposed to thank God for bad experiences? Did you know that? I didn't know that until I was like reading through some things, but I found this pretty amazing because I'm like, we are supposed to thank God because he counts it worthy as us in our faith journey to give us a test, to take us to a new level. I think it was shown up on the screen, James 1, 2 through 4, that we should, you know, that we should rejoice whenever trouble comes our way. I mean, when's the last time you've done that? Hey God, thanks for that one. <laughs> That's kind of how we thank him for it, right? But we're supposed to, God, Praise you. Man, you are amazing. Thank you for thinking me worthy of going through bankruptcy. I appreciate that. Wow. Amazing, God. He's testing our faith. Incredible things. And I think Pastor Ron spoke to you about three weeks ago about why does he take us through these things? Why does he? You know why? Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10 tells us, God saved you with his special favor when you believed. You can't take credit for that. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so nobody can brag about it, but we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things. He has planned for us a long time ago. We are created in the image of God to be able to accomplish amazing things. But we focus on bad experiences and we formulate these expectations and these realities in the process I'm going to open up this book I don't know if you've read this lately but it's called a bible Um, but anyway inside this book I have found numerous numerous occurrences of bad experiences that God has used to teach you and I on how to formulate different experiences from them take bad experiences making them good just to name a couple for you to understand how about this one Moses stuttered he didn't even want the task of leading the Israelites out. He even killed somebody. John Mark, he was rejected by Paul. Hosea's wife, she was a prostitute. Uh, Amos' only training was in the school of fig tree pruning. That's good on the resume. Solomon was too rich. He loved the chicks big time. Abraham was too old and he lacked faith. Timothy had ulcers. Peter was afraid of death and he denied Christ knowingly. How about this one for a bad experience? Lazarus was dead um, that, that's a bad experience John he was self-righteous Naomi she was a widow Miriam was a gossip Gideon Thomas they doubted Jeremiah was depressed he was suicidal John the Baptist, John the Baptist was a loud mouth and he did everything to the extreme Martha was a worrywart Mary was lazy and Samson was proud and selfish how do you like that laundry list? that's interesting huh? That's what the Bible's made up of. Bad experiences that have allowed God to infiltrate and turn into great experiences. Amazing. Now, one specific... Well, before we get there, let let me just tell you how grateful I am that God doesn't require a job interview. Aren't you? In order to have a relationship with Him? I mean, as much as we try, God's gifts are actually free to us, free of charge. His experiences in our lives actually have intentions. And when Satan looks at you... He calls you a loser to your face, and he says, you will never amount to anything. The bad experience that you're in, you will not be able to get out of. And you know what God sees when he looks at you? The exact opposite. He sees the cross, and he sees value in your life, and he sees you exactly how he shaped you to be. And he's going to say, I'm going to take you through a road of experiences, great ones that I want you to take recognition of, and bad ones that I want you to learn from. Now, one of my favorite, 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 favorite stories in the Bible is what I like to call UFC BC. Any Ultimate Fighting Challenge freaks out there? Sweet. A couple. Awesome. Some of the ladies are like, what's UFC mean? <laughs> Ultimate Fighting Challenge BC. David and Goliath. You ever heard that story? I figured since we're at church today, we'll go ahead and tell a story. Is that All right. I'm glad three of you are excited about me telling this story. I'll focus my attention over here. Uh, I'm going to tell you a story about David and Goliath. Now, please don't write me off and think, wow, I could have just went to my son's Sunday school class to heard this story. But I want you to listen to what's going on. I mean, this is an amazing, amazing story about expectations and realities very potentially bad experiences that, that people have formulated and written off and said, there's just no hope. There's no way of getting around it. I need, and, and, and one guy, one guy sees something different. There's three major characters. Big guy named Goliath, massive giant. <sighs> Big dude, nine foot tall, a Philistine from Gath. Another player uh, is, is, is a guy by the name of uh, King Saul. He would be the leader of the Israelites that you would naturally think is the big dude in charge, not afraid of anything, leading them into war. And then we got this little, you know, obnoxious teenage kid named David, uh, about 14, 15, 16 years old. And he's a major player in this thing. And he looks at this expectation and he sees things differently. I don't know about you, but I like to look at underdog stories as interesting, right? I mean, think about this. Who does not like incredible endings to stories or movies? Rudy? Right? Come on. How about, I'm dating you now. Hoosiers? Hickory! Hickory! You know, the little dude dribbles off his leg, all that stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, hey, any, any Princess Bride fans out there? That's one of my favorite movies. Can you believe that? The Princess Bride. I love it. Wesley, Farm Boy. Right? Dreaded Pirate Roberts who gets the princess in the end. Why do we love underdog stories? Because they're not supposed to happen the way that they happen. Guess what? This story happens exactly how God has planned it to happen. So here's what's going on. Here's what's going on. as I think Pastor uh, uh, Paul told you last week that, that the Philistines and the Israelites are not too keen of each other. they don't really care for each other, and there's a big war about ready to happen. All right so, so I get very illustrative. I've changed shirts five times today, um, not on stage, so don't worry about that because um, <laughs> I've been sweating, but so here's what's happening. The Israelites are coming over 1 Samuel chapter 17. Turn there if you've got your Bibles. If not, read it later, but turn to 1 Samuel 17. I'm just going to tell this story. So here's what's happening. The Israelites are coming over this war. I want you to get into movie mindset, all right? War drums are going boom, 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 boom. Israelites are coming over the mountain, all right? Whole huge lot of them. Okay, on the other side, a little bit of a different war uh, beat. I don't know. I Philistines got a cooler rhythm. I don't know. And they come over the hill. They're coming over the side. And down in the valley called Elah is about ready to be one of the biggest wars that there has ever been. One thing different. King Saul, big, huge king, leading his army, scared to death. Why? Because on the other side, the Philistines are being led by a nine-foot giant, screaming, Out. Profanities. And here's what he is. Get this. He was a giant of a man, measuring over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and a coat of mail that weighed 125 pounds. What is a coat of mail? It's not what brown can do for you or anything like that. I I, I don't get this. But it's some kind of metallic substance, and it's on him. He also wore bronze leggings. He slung a bronze javelin over his back. The shaft of his spear was as heavy, as thick as a weaver's beam. And that's thick if you've ever seen a weaver's beam. Um, and tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds the top of his spear weighed 15 it's like the size of a bowling ball and here he comes all right he's coming over the hill and he's like he, he okay ready get ready hey do you need a whole army to settle this how about you send one man mono we to face me We'll fight it out, and the winner will be the sle- will, will be the rulers over the others. And I mean, this is, uh, can you just see this guy? Come on. It's like screaming out. The Israelites are like, dude, what is that thing, man? That's unbelievable. That's huge. And they're like freaking out. They're like, oh, my goodness. They've heard about this guy, and they're like, he really is real. Oh, no. And they're just like panicking. Everything's going on. And look at what Saul and the Israelites, when they heard this, they were terrified and they were deeply shaking. You guys like action figures? All the, all the little dudes are yeah, I like him. So here's, all right. I came across some of the coolest action figures of this story. Ready? This, my friends, is Goliath. All right. Now, I come from the days of flannel graph in church where they just flap up this little giant dude, kind of like Andre the Giant. You know? That, look at that. That is Goliath. Look, look, he's a coat of mail. 125 pounds on your back. That's like me hanging on top of you. It is after I sweat off all this weight today. All right, so here... Here's what's going on. Alright, and then we have David. Ready? This kind of guy, this, as much as this guy impresses me, this guy kind of disappoints me, because he's kind of like Matthew McConaughey. And, and and from what I know and read, David's like 16, 15 years old, little teenage boy. So look at this guy, you know? He looks good. Right? You got him on there? Look at that. There's David. Okay, so David and Goliath, two of the main players. And here's what's going on. I mean, you're getting abused by this foul-mouthed freak of nature that is screaming out profanities. Not only is he cursing you, making a fool of you, guess what happens? He's mocking your God. He's mocking your God. The Israelites have heard about this guy, and they know that he's a bad dude, and they understand. So here's what Saul does. He's like, oh, here, 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 here's what's going to go on. I'm going to give... Anybody that takes on that guy, I'm going to make you exempt from taxes the rest of your life. You can marry my daughter and you can live in my palace. <laughs> Reward's great. Nice. No IRS for the rest of my life. Woohoo! I'll take a shot at him. So, so this is what's going on, but he has no takers until, get this, teenage David shows up. Now, you can just see teenage David, little teenage boy. carrying cheese to my brothers on the warfare. (laughs) He's carrying bread and cheese. Loser, man, shows up on the scene. I got some stuff for my brothers. (laughs) And he hears this guy. So what's he do? He checks in and says, is this stuff true? Is this really going down? What's the king promising again? (laughs) He actually says that. What's the king promising again? A wife and no taxes. I like that stuff. So he's like, all right, not a problem. So he goes into the presence of Saul, and he says this. They know each other, and he says, all right, dude, I've been seeing this guy. What's going down? You don't need to worry about anything. I got this one, Saul. Okay, now, the king. I don't know. Think of your 14-year-old son looking at you saying, Dad, don't worry about this foreclosure thing. I got it taken care of. This bad experience, whatever it is, I got it taken care of. That's what's happening. So what is Saul's reply? The same as yours would be to your son. You are insane. You cannot take care of this guy. He will destroy you. You're just a boy. He's been in the army since he was a boy. And this is what's going down. So David shouts in his reply, he, he takes on some clothes and he's like, This isn't working. This isn't. So, what's he do? He goes, What's familiar with him? He goes down, and he gets five stones from a brook. Smooth stones. The kind of stones that sit perfect in a shepherd's pouch and really fit well in a sling. And he goes out to battle. And he looks across the field, and Goliath sees him coming. And he nicknames him. He's like, Am I a dog? That you would come at me with sticks. He calls him Twiggy. Twiggy, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to feed you to the birds and the animals. And he just starts mocking him. David. Can you see David? A 14-year-old dude. Whoa. Wow. So here's what David says. Check this out. David shouted in reply. You come to me with sword and spear and jab. No, he didn't say it like that. But anyway, I don't know. He may have went through feud you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of the Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut your head off. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone will know that the Lord does not need weapons as he rescues his people. It is our battle. It is his battle, not ours. The Lord will give you to us. Check this next Thing out that David does. As David starts, starts coming at him. What's he do? Passionate. Passage says, David ran away. Ha ha ha! No, David ran. But you know what he did? David quickly ran out to meet Goliath. His bad experience. I just can see this in the movies. Can't you see this? I mean, I'm just seeing David. You know, you got total Goliath. And then David just looking at him. Whoa. Slow motion by this time in the movies. And not even stop. Oh, I got to stop and get my rock. No, all in one motion. And then Goliath. Oh. Boom. And what's David do? It's not enough, man. Runs up there, grabs his the sword. sword probably weighs as much as him. You, ask, you see him asking the, the armor-bearer of Goliath. Hey, could you help me out with this thing a little bit? <laughs> you just see this happening? Man, I can see this happening. David sees something. Listen. Goliath screaming, cursing God. Giant. Soul stealer, bad experience. Israelites freaking out. Predetermined expectations of this bad experience. David's offended. I want to fight him. Reality, God we serve is bigger than that. You know, Saul's, no, 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 no. More predetermined expectations. You can't do that. David expects otherwise. Why? Because God is preceding him in his efforts. He realizes that in Romans 8.31, the word of God says, if God is for me, Who can be against me? Wow. Head on. We do this down in Church of Celebration. We just focus on a key couple thoughts. Basically how to begin expecting another possible reality to your bad experiences. How about this one? How about number one, stay faithful in the small things. I don't know what you're going through. Pornography. You're having an affair. Your marriage is crumbling. You're involved in drugs. Alcohol. I, I, I don't. Bankruptcy. I don't know what your bad experience is, and I'm not here to downplay it. You're going through something, and it's serious. But you will go nowhere without God in it. God says, make it right in the small things. I mean, think about this. David was a... Shepherd. How exciting is that job? Folks, we count sheep to go to bed. Dude, he watches sheep. That's what he does. A little wussy shepherd boy. He was a bad shepherd boy though, because he did kill lion, bear, stuff like that. But anyway, this is not a tough job. I used to get in trouble back in uh Iowa. I grew up on a farm and I used to get in trouble by my grandpa. He used to spank me because I would chase sheep with my two cousins. We got into a little bit of trouble every once in a while. Anyway, we would chase sheep. And his reason for disciplining us was because we would chase sheep. And sheep are so stupid that they don't know when to stop. Now, I never have seen one just explode like because they run so much. But he tells me that once a sheep gets going, they can't stop. They can't program their brains to stop. So they need someone to care for them, a shepherd to watch over them. This is what David's job was. You know what's kind of interesting on a side note is in Scripture you and I, if you're a follower of the way, if you're a believer in Jesus, we're, we're referred to as sheep. Stupid. need a shepherd. He stayed faithful in the small things. He said, I'll do it. What's that mean for you? Maybe that means just going to church four times a month instead of the average 2.3 times. Maybe that's actually picking up this Bible more than once a week when you go to church. Maybe it's praying a little bit more often as God actually says, pray continually at all times. Maybe it's joining a life group. Maybe it's getting you to go a step further and in being involved in a servant ministry here at Cornerstone. I don't know. But you need to stay faithful in the small things. How about keeping your eyes on the big picture? This is interesting. The reality is this, your your experiences are real and I would never, ever, ever, like I just said, downplay what you're going through. They're real and I realize that. I know that these things are real. But what God is screaming in the midst of your bad experiences is this, things can be different. I've been reading this Bible for 30 plus years, studying it, teaching it for over 15 years, went to Bible college, have a degree, studied it and read it in different languages. The interesting thing about this book is every time I open it up to Revelation, the same ending is there. God wins. God never loses. He wins. Amazing. In the midst of whatever you're going through, keeping our eyes on the big picture, how about gather courage from past victories? You ever gone through other realities where you're really not focusing on the good experiences, but maybe God's saying, you need to start thinking about the good experiences and drawing from them in the middle of this bad experience and using that to help you? David did. Goliath is nothing. I've kicked a bear's tail, a lion's tail, and wiped them both out. And then lastly, step into each battle with confidence. I told you he'd tried on the armor of Saul. Didn't fit very well, so what did David do? I'm going to with what is familiar with me. I'm going to get five stones, and I'm going to go into battle exactly how God has uniquely designed me to fight. You can read later in your word in Ephesians chapter 6, and it will tell you what you need to go into war with. See, the reality is this. You are in a war. And Satan doesn't stinking care about you. He is out to defeat you and he's out to magnify the bad experiences. And God says you cannot fight unless you fight equipped the right way. Are you frustrated with your job? You don't like your car? You want to make more money? You don't like how you look? Have you ever thought that God designed you exactly how he needs you to be. Struggling with that 10th commandment, being content, that's what God's talking about. There was a philosophy professor that uh, had been teaching for 25 plus years. And he told his students at the beginning of the semester, I'm going to give you a gift like you've never been given before. I'm going to give you An 8.5 by 11 sheet of paper, completely blank. And from this point until the end of the semester, I'm going to give you every opportunity to write anything you want on there. Put anything you want on it. And you can use this for your final as a cheat sheet. And what's interesting is everybody's like, yeah, that's awesome. But for 25 years, no one had ever passed the philosophy final. Nobody. And he had been giving that gift since day one. So everybody from day one has like, oh, man, this is incredible. And they go home with magnifying glasses and, you know, write in codes, cryptid, you know, words within other things just to get everything. Writing chapters and everything. The end of the semester rolled in. Everybody came in. These white sheets of paper were completely, completely dark at this time. Nothing. You couldn't see any sample of white on there because they were just filled. Everybody's kind of, you should see what I did. So here's what goes on. One guy comes in, opens it up, pulls out a blank sheet of paper. People are like, dude, you are stupid. (laughs) What are you thinking? Not a problem. I I know exactly what I'm thinking. I got exactly what I need for it. And they're like, what are you? Everything's going on, huge commotion. Professor walks in the side door, and he's like, "Uh, excuse me, class. Let's take our seats. What's going on back there? And the young man's kind of like, ah. Everybody steps aside like, "Hmm, right here, dude. Number one idiot right there. <laughs> Guy goes, well, sir, I, I just was showing them what I have on my paper. And he's like, oh, really? Well, do you care to share with the rest of the class? Not, not a problem, sir. So he said, I just want to make sure I have all this right. You, you, you told us that we could do anything we wanted with these sheets of paper. We could put anything on it, whatever. And he says, that's right. And he goes, and I can use this today for my exam. That's right. Okay, so here's what he does. He comes up to the floor, and he just puts it on the ground. People are like really saying, Dude, lost it completely. So he steps off to the side. Professor's kind of like, interesting. So what he does is he steps over to the side and he goes, claps twice. In through the side door, walks in this very distinguished young man, suit, tie, glasses, comes over, walks over to this guy and looks at him, just kind of smiles. Yeah, professor's leaning back at this time, grinning. Looks at him. They give each other the nod. This young man steps on the piece of paper. By this time, the professor knows exactly what's going on, and the young man says, Sir, you told us we could put anything we wanted on this piece of paper. And this is my friend John, and he has his PhD in philosophy. (laughs) So the application very quickly. Good experiences. How often are you thinking about them? Bad experiences. How often do you formulate your expectation and your reality already? Here's the deal. Jesus is screaming and telling you just like this, do you not get it? You are searching so hard for great experiences. And I'm right here in front of you. It is not that hard. It is not complicated. The answer is Jesus Christ. And he is and will be the greatest experience that you ever encounter. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for today. Thanks so much for being amazing. And I thank you for this chance to hang out with some friends of mine at Cornerstone today. I want to ask God in closing That as you spoke today, maybe two, three, four, five people, I don't know how many are here today, but I realize that when we cast the seed, it only falls on good soil in thirds. And there's a group of people that are seriously going through bad experiences right now, and something needs to change in their life. Would you help them hear the words and hear the story today? And follow the lead of David and find you the greatest experience there is and turn a bad experience into a great one. I love you in your precious son's name. Amen.